Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we have a very special edition of our 10 Questions Podcast, trying to get back into getting one of these done per week. And the theme of the month, I guess it's still January. The theme of the next five weeks is Dynasty Land, and I have a very special guest on to help us accomplish all things Dynasty domination. He is a Dynasty football aficionado. He's outraged. He's a regular troll of PFF graphics, but we love him anyway. You can find all of his work at breakoutfinder.com, his Patreon, his YouTube page, a great new uh, video on Jalen Waddles up on that. Player profiler, the man is everywhere. Nate Liss, at an outraged Jew on Twitter. Nate, how's it going, my man? What's up, man? Thank you very much for having me on, dude. You know, I I love talking Dynasty. You featured on the Breakout Finder podcast when I was doing that. So very cool to get a chance to talk to you and uh, this great audience, man. Let's go, man. Great day to be great. And yeah, people can't say enough nice things about the content. Nate's always pushing out. Got a nice little video on YouTube. I saw you just posting today on Jalen Waddle potentially being a top five wide receiver in 2022 (laughs) in this economy. I think we do have some uh, words to say about Waddle later. Uh, We'll get to that. But Nate, I want to start things off. So yeah. I have a messed up metaphor myself and Dwayne McFarlane have been getting to because at first I was like always saying gun to your head and that wasn't right. So saying what if a Girl Scout shows up to your door? But then somehow it got twisted. Maybe it was like week 10, you know, midseason shit. Now the Girl Scout has a gun. So that's basically what happens <laughs> at your door. And she wants to know your top three dynasty tips for someone that is brand new to the game in the year 2022. What are you telling this, you know, really, really aggressive Girl Scout? I, first off, I would ask her who authorized them to change the recipe of the Thin Mints because I got a complaint. Have you, they're not the same as they used to be when I was growing up. That's First and foremost, I'm kind of a Samoa guy. I'm kind of a Samoa guy. You look like a Samoa guy. (laughs) (laughs) Get the hell off my podcast. All the (laughs) makings. So, dude, I would say tip number one for people that are new to Dynasty is this isn't redraft. Do not play it like redraft. That is an excellent way to get burned. I can't count the amount of times I've seen players taken so far out of ADP. And all I can think is either this guy is no good at this format or he's going to quit next year. Like that, that is the two options that you have when you do that. The second one is if you join a league full of people that have played before, it's really important to likely either do a lot of homework or invest in a service that's going to help you, you know, with rankings and stuff like that. Because one bad startup draft will absolutely nuke your existence for years in Dynasty. And lastly, and for God's sakes, people, listen to me when I say this, quit trading your rookie picks for nothing. Some new guys, they just don't understand the value of these things. And they will literally trade them for like Jarvis Landry or they think they need to be competitive at the end of the year. And it's like, you don't understand if you haven't been through rookie season and that fever of having rookie picks and what they're worth, you have to hold on to them. Quit trading them so early. Not redraft people. Do your homework. Invest in the service if you have no idea what Dynasty ADP looks like. And quit trading your damn rookie picks for nothing. Do you subscribe to the idea that like 2023 rookie picks are just worlds ahead of 2022? Uh, you know, we, I, I feel like if we went back a year from now, you would have asked me if I subscribed to 2021 being better than 2022. Um, I think that this year's class, uh, is deep, but we're all kind of debating whether it has enough hits in it. And that's kind of where we're sitting right now. 
2023 looks to be a good class on the surface, but the reality of the situation is those are cheaper picks because they're so far out and we can't put names and faces to anything more than maybe the top one or top two. So okay. no, I don't subscribe to that. I, I like to perform in the year that I'm in. Okay, that that's good to know. I've just seen, you know, some of these uh, Dynasty Twitter interactions, some people get high and mighty up on their perch and I sounded like some people thought this was an easy conclusion to make. Happy you could uh, put some common sense to it with us, Nate. Now, I'm in, I think, three or four dynasty leagues now, and my first one was a super flex, and I was like, okay, look at all these great running backs and wide receivers. I'll get my quarterbacks later. Round eight or nine comes around, and it's been a rough rebuilding process. We made the playoffs this year, but certainly wasn't what I wanted to do. And to your point, I didn't do my homework, and I you know, probably didn't realize enough what the hell I was getting myself into. So for a super flex league where we are having our two quarterbacks and you know many more, how important to you is it to get your quarterback early? And like, if you want to kind of do my route where, okay, you're finding these great running backs and receivers, like, is there a round cutoff where you're like, okay, enough messing around. Go eat your freaking quarterbacks already. Yeah, I mean, I have I have literally screwed around uh, in a couple of startups. I'm in a lot of dynasty leagues, right? Like I, I'm a degenerate like most people, but I'm in probably 25 dynasty <laughs> leagues. And the worst part is they're head to head, right? Like it's Sunday. I get up on Sunday. I'm like, oh God, like this is, I don't sleep in. I'm setting lineups for like an hour and a half. Like it's a pain in the ass, but I think the deal is I, I screwed around too much in a couple, got lucky, and I was sitting on like Derek Carr, and I was grabbing like Ben Roethlisberger, and you just really don't want to end up in that camp yeah. per se. So the the thing that I love right now, uh, when you're in a dynasty startup, for those of you that haven't been in them or have been in them, the, the first couple picks usually goes off close to 50-50 between the best quarterbacks and the best running backs. You know, you're going to see Jonathan Taylor up there more and more now, but you saw Christian McCaffrey, seen Patrick Mahomes up there. Lamar Jackson was way up there to start the year. A couple of these names. Um, but for me, because the quarterbacks are such a difference in points per game on any given week, it could be five points, it could be seven points more than your average running back. I typically lean quarterback heavy. But what I love about what's taking place in football right now is we have so many great young quarterbacks. We've got Josh Allen, we've got Joe Burrow, we've got Kyler Murray, we've got Justin Herbert. We have all these names and guys like Russell Wilson, guys like Matt Stafford. These guys are being pushed back. Russell Wilson's currently going off pick 19, pick 20, and 12-team startups. You're seeing Matt Stafford at pick 34. These guys are 33 years old, right? So there's a lot of time left. There's a lot of value. They've proven they can put up fantasy points. So there's two ways to play it. Young running backs have a ton of value, and you need them. You want that difference maker. So I would be open to going running back and sitting back and trying to get a Russell Wilson, trying to get a Matt Stafford, and build from there. Okay. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I, again, I know exactly what you mean when like your first quarterback is Derek Carr. You're like, okay, we got some, yeah. uh, we got some work to do. <laughs> this um, is a rebuild forward. now. So that's super flex. Another one that again is just different for a lot of people. If you haven't really gotten the dynasty is tight end premium. Usually I believe what we're giving up, giving a point and a half per reception to our tight ends out there. Now it's funny what you said about those quarterbacks where they do keep producing late into their careers. Like I understand big Ben fell off a bridge, but he should have fell off a bridge at this point. He came into the league yes. and 2000 freaking four. So with the tight end premium, what I found interesting, I did a study last year on like what was kind of like the jump year at each position, just looking at like years of experience and seeing like top 12 performers basically um, by year and quarterback and tight end. Like, okay, you had your kind of whatever peaks, you know, year three, year four, but 10 plus years of experience, you actually still had a lot of guys putting up big numbers. Whereas, you know, you might have a rare exceptional wide receiver and pretty much no running back. So if now, if you're in a tight end, and premium is I guess the reality that a really good tight end is capable of being really good for 10 plus years you know if they are great enough is that enough for you to really try to pull that trigger early or do you kind of like to mess around in those late round tight end streets Man, if you're if you're not playing tight end premium, you realize that the gap between tight end 20 to tight end 10 is not very big. And we'll probably talk about this later. Tight end premium for people that don't know, that's basically one and a half times the points for tight end at receptions. For me with tight end, well, everything in total. So for me with tight end, man, usually I kind of punt it because even though they're a difference maker, it's like there's what, two or three guys. George Kittle kind of looked up and down this year and he used to be surefire. Mark Andrews is suddenly like dynasty tight end one conversation (laughs) with people. Kyle Pitts is very clearly up there. Um, I am more of the kind of guy that would rather fall into that Dallas Goddard type range and just take my chances with sort of the middle of the road tight end amongst this league. 
and hope that I can catch fire in the year that they really blow up. Because with most tight ends, you're not really seeing like massive production until age 25, 26. A lot of these guys come into the league at 21, 22, and they really don't produce and put up a monster year until about that third or fourth season. There's a lot to learn at the tight end position. So with that being said, guys like Noah Fant, when that guy came into the league as a rookie, everybody said this guy was going to kick ass, that this was going to be the tight end of the century, and it has not happened What about O.J. Howard, man? What about O.J. Howard? What about O.J. (laughs) O.J. Howard is is rotting at the bottom of all my dynasty rosters. But we go through this so much, and it's like, here's the thing. Noah Fant, probably talk about this later, could probably still be great, but he's still very, very young, his situation and all these things. So you kind of have to play all these factors in. So as much as I love tight end premium and I put a value on him, I never want to be the first guy to take one. Yeah. No, I think that's a good rule of thumb. No offense. Still just 24 years old. Maybe we get a QB upgrade. I'm still I'm still a believer, Nate. I'm still I am. a believer. All right. Enough strategy talk. Great stuff, though. I'm happy that we could help, you know, clear up for clear it up for some people that maybe haven't had their drafts. Let's get to the players. So looking at the AFC. I mean, it's, it's it's so funny how a couple years ago, like the conversation was like, what's the NFL going to do when Brady, when Manning and Rossberg are all retired? You know, now we got Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. I think we can all agree Mahomes consensus QB one. After that, though, which AFC young stud bowl quarterback would you want to most have in your fantasy squad for the next 10 years? Man, I mean, in in the order of of these players, I think you have to go Josh Allen, number two. The evolution of Josh Allen, what he does with his legs, what he's done with the receivers around him. I mean, Stephon Diggs is great, but really, he turned... He turned Gabe Davis into a fucking unicorn in real time. And it was amazing. And I definitely want to talk about Gabe Davis. I'm sure I'm going to make a point about him later. But I think for me, Josh Allen has proved too much. Uh, Even when this team is in a run-first situation, Josh Allen is still a part of that as a factor. So he's number one for me. Justin Herbert's been a stud since he entered the league. I don't think there's any questions. I keep seeing Devontae Adams, or I can't remember if it was him or Keenan Allen. Somebody was tweeting that if they were playing together on the Chargers, they would have put up X amount of catches. And it's like, if you get Devontae there, that's like a cheat code. And the Chargers have, what, the third most salary cap space going into next year? It's what happens when you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. Um, so for me, it goes Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I don't know if that's a hot take. Ooh. Is it? I think it's fair. If, <sighs> Lamar, I guess the question with Lamar is like, how long can he keep putting up these absolutely bonkers rushing yard numbers? Because Josh Allen really isn't that far behind. And the touchdown difference is just absolutely bonkers. I mean, I was thinking this would be the year that Lamar might actually have, you know, some touchdown, like positive regression, actually start to maybe flirt with that double digit mark. Just wasn't meant to be. Meanwhile, Josh Allen has 31 freaking rushing touchdowns since entering the league. He's one of only 10 guys, regardless of position, to hit that 30 touchdown number. So I think you're pretty spot on, man. And I I like the uh, point, too, about the potential wide receiver, too, in Los Angeles, because if Mike Williams is gone, yes, they have the third most cap space. I think they need to put a lot more resources on that defense, though. And, you know, this is this is my long way of saying that I have a lot of Josh Palmer and I really wouldn't mind seeing him Ah. be the wide receiver, too, with the Chargers, man. I don't know. Well, listen, man, they spent a third round pick on the guy. I mean, very clearly they saw something in him and I think he's going to get an opportunity to play. It's just tough. This team is in a win now mode. And I think anytime you are, it puts a lot of pressure on a guy like that to get an opportunity because you you don't have a lot of time to wait around. You can't allow mistakes. So a lot of times, especially with Joe Burrow or excuse me, with Justin Herbert on a rookie contract, it's like. You can spend the money right now. You can take the shot. You can go for a win now thing because we've seen. Get more. Yeah, right. We've seen what happened to Dallas once they paid Dak. We saw what happened to Seattle once they paid Russ. I mean, obviously Dallas screwed up all the contract stuff, but all (laughs) that plays a factor. But honestly, on the topic of Lamar Jackson, what's really concerning for me is that you'd have to date back to 2019 to find the season that he he went absolutely nuclear. But one of the big changes for him is the offensive line has changed a lot and he had zero And I mean zero running back help this year. He lost his two best running backs. And I think when he gets Dobbins back, you know, if Gus Edwards comes back, if you get these guys back there, I think it's going to help him out a little bit to have a threat back there. He had to do it all himself. And even with that being said, still averaging over 21 fantasy points per game and more than 20 fantasy points per game every year of his career, he just has the weekly upside to be a game changer. And it's what makes it hard for me to rank him over Burrow. The the Bengals are clearly investing in Burrow and his efficiency metrics were too ridiculous this year. 
I think they're all in the same tier for sure. If someone wants to put yeah. Lamar ahead of them, I'm not going to, you know, vehemently disagree with them by any stretch. But yeah, I, again, I just, I do worry about how that lasts for 10 years when it's against Burrow, Herbert, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes. So we're, we're arguing about like which diamond's the prettiest, you know, if I right, was right. in weird things like that. <laughs> right. So, all right. So quarterback rankings now for the rookies that came in this year because my god like the amount of mac jones hype that we had to go through and he was fine this year but he was the best rookie quarterback relative to a bunch of rookie quarterbacks that you'd be hard-pressed to find many stats that put them in the top 30 in the freaking league how have your qb rankings for the 2021 rookies changed from the preseason to now oh oh my goodness i mean how many people have to eat crow for saying that Trevor Lawrence was a generational quarterback? And I'm not saying he's not because I'll probably get blowback for that statement. But dude, this was a guy that finishes a QB 22 this year and had just three top 10 performances. And that's not yeah. what anybody thought that they were paying for, right? The fact that he couldn't even put up numbers in garbage time was the most shocking part to me. Not even garbage time numbers. Not even, I know, and it's bad, but... But here's the thing. He, he didn't look good from a bad pocket and he didn't look good from a clean pocket, which is really the most unfortunate thing about it. But if you look at Player Profiler, which is a website that I obviously advocate for and am a part of in a lot of ways, you look at his numbers over there. He ranked top four in money throws, top eight rank on air yards, which is also indicative of the 602 pass attempts, which is shocking that he even threw the ball that much to start yeah. with. But the other thing is sneaky rushing production, 73 carries, 12 in the red zone. He was the QB nine. Problem is Jacksonville only had 2.3 red zone attempts per game, number 30 in the league. You want to see that go up, but there was some underlining metrics in there that give you positive, you know, hope with him. But I guess what I would say is all things considered, looking at what happened in San Francisco, here's how my ranks would go today. I would go Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson. I love the call sticking with Lance at the top because if anything, we saw that he's going to be used once he's the starter exactly how we ever could have hoped, man. He is going to be the Konami code, rushing upside cheap code that we could always hope for. I think it's fair with Lawrence. Like watching, he put some big time throws on tape. So does Zach Wilson though, to his yeah, credit. Yes. I think Zach over the last half, over the last month of the season. And I would say just based on some of the, Redraft, I know this is not what we're talking about today, but redraft 2022 rankings I've seen. I think Lawrence and Wilson are like two of the best late round quarterbacks that you can, you know, try to find at this point. What makes you, I guess, why does Lawrence still have the upside? I mean, we're treating Wilson as kind of the bust of the group, even though they both were like bad this year. And, you know, I'm not saying it's wrong, but with Zach Wilson, we do have Elijah Moore, we have Corey Davis, and we have maybe a slightly more stable organization. Um, well, because I saw Trevor Lawrence do it in college for quite a, you know, quite yeah. a while and actually put it on tape. Zach Wilson, you know, coming from the school that he came from, the pedigree that he had. I know everybody said he could make all the throws, and I agree. There's a lot of metrics out there that will actually support Zach Wilson over Trevor Lawrence. But with the, the organization, the Jacksonville Jaguars as a whole, there's never been a more toxic single-year <laughs> scenario than what happened there. I mean, that, that was an absolute shit show. From and start to finish, too. <laughs> from start to finish. People were actually predicting that the head coach, that we were going to lose him immediately. And look, he's gone. It was his complete reboot. So I've got a lot of hope. He was pegged as a generational quarterback. You have to hang your hat on the metrics that he put up in college, the production that he had the draft pedigree. I got to believe that Jacksonville is going to try to write this ship. But to your point, I think Zach Wilson actually becomes more favorable for a lot of people just because he's so cheap. And in dynasty, I'm just going to tell you, these two guys are not neck and neck by price yeah. whatsoever. Very fair point. All right. Enough quarterback talk. So you mentioned player profiler, always awesome content there. Matt Kelly's been on the pod plenty of times and I am a subscriber. So I feel confident just giving away maybe a rank or two for the, you know, course of, uh, for the matter of discussion. And the one thing that shocks me, man, DeAndre Swift, RB2 in Dynasty. Sell me on it, man. I get it. He has the pass catching ability. That's what we want. I mean, when you look at some of these like numbers, when you take the running backs that catch 60, 70 passes and like you just remove their rushing numbers and you still see how high they rank. I understand in full PPR, like pass catching running backs are the closest things like we have to a cheat code. But RB2? What's going on with Swift? Listen, man, I think RB2, RB2 is a fair rank. And I know people are going to think this is crazy for a guy that finishes the RB15 this year overall. But listen, 
with a guy like DeAndre Swift, I feel like you have to sort of back into the situation because most often pass catching, you know, running backs are what separates the elite fantasy assets from the average ones, unless you're Derrick Henry and you're putting up 20 touchdowns a year, right? But on the basis of pass catching alone, as you've identified, he was already the RB8 in fantasy points per game this year. So we know he can do that, but we need to see the volume jump. And we did. We saw it happen from twenty to you know from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one. We saw him jump in most metrics that mattered. His snap share climbed twenty percent. His touches per game climbed from twelve point three to sixteen point four. That's over four a game. His yards after contact went up from the RB six to the RB two. His evaded tackles climbed from one and a half a game to four point six a game. His red zone touches went up. All this was while playing behind the worst O line he's played yeah. behind for two years. A team that was constantly trailing in football games. But these are also great things for a pass catching back, but they're not great for a guy that's trying to run the ball. And I think that's also part of the reason we haven't seen him carry the ball very much. But situations change. I mean, we literally witnessed this happen with Aaron Jones entering year three with the Green Bay Packers. DeAndre Swift is essentially sitting at an Aaron Jones level of usage, which was a top five play in fantasy. And the biggest difference right now is touchdowns. And if you ask Alvin Kamara if those are predictable year to year, he will tell you (laughs) no. And also with his rushing, because like I would do a, a, a send out a chart almost every week, you know, like x-axis was yards after contact uh, per carry, y-axis missed tackles force per carry, only rushing attempts. And Swift was always like looking like one of the worst ones in the league, and he really didn't have a good start in the year. But man, right when he started to come on, he goes for a buck thirty against Pittsburgh, buck thirty-six against the Browns, then he gets hurt, and then he had to you know unfortunately miss a good chunk of the year. And when he came back, you know, end of the season anyway. So okay. Okay, Nate, I'm, you know, RB2 is high, but to your point, when the guy's already, you know, a top 15 RB, it really isn't quite as ridiculous. So you do subscribe to running back target, because I know like the whole like targets are earned um, debate that kind of goes on. I guess for a running back, though, it would make more sense that we can put more stock in that production being there and continuing regardless of maybe if we get like a more downfield minded quarterback under center, because we know golf isn't going to be there forever. Well, and, and that's true. And the other issue here is that, are they going to be competitive? This was a team that trailed. I want to say they had like, I thought it was like a thousand plays and like 680 of them, they were trailing or something like that. I mean, this team was constantly trailing. And in that scenario, you're very often not running the ball, but you are checking down. You are trying to utilize this running back. And I realize that a lot of people are concerned that he hasn't necessarily taken over this backfield completely. But again, in the same amount of games played from last year to this year, he's up roughly 40 rushing attempts. His targets are way up. The usage is, again, the snap is up 20%. So the touches per game up for a game. I believe that we will see another climb for DeAndre Swift. And to your point, when you're citing the two games that he really showed out this year, that was the first time that he had crested over a 77% snap share. The game when he put up 135, he was finally in the 90th you know, percent snap share there. So... If the usage comes, if the volume gets turned up with a guy like DeAndre Swift, watch out because he very easily could be the RB2. Jamal Williams could be a sneaky cut candidate. I mean, it's not like he's on this big contract uh, regardless. And, you know, if they did want to get rid of him before or after June 1st, save three million against the cap, only 1.6 dead money. He can put up big numbers even if Jamal's there or they're draft someone anyway. That pass catching goodness, all we need sometimes in fantasy land. And yeah, the uh, comp on player profiler for DeAndre Swift, Maurice Jones Drew. Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good there, huh? All right. Now, the other guy in the top six that just is, you know, not super disagreeing with you guys. It's just like, wow, we're, we're back in. We're back in on Cam Akers, man. RB6 overall in Dynasty. Wasn't that long ago that he was, you know, being looked at as someone that just couldn't give us anything anymore because the Achilles was thought to be that kryptonite. Had a great conversation with uh, Matt Kelly when he was on the pod talking about how he got like stem cell stuff in his knee and the doctor was telling him about all this stuff with Achilles and, you know, he said instead of being happy about like his knee and everything, he rushed to his car so we could send off all these trades to try to go get Cam Akers. So medically, everything is looking much better for Cam Akers. And I just had an article go up on pff.com where I said, what if no injuries happened at running back? And I just took the most relevant split we had for every single backfield, 17-game season, what would happen. And Akers, he only came in RB18, but that was because he has five touchdowns and like 255 career touches. Like his his efficiency splits weren't there. But the volume, my freaking goodness, Nate, only Derrick Henry had more touches for the entire you know 2021 season that I was simulating. Are we all the way back in on Cam Akers, the Rams' undisputed RB1? 
Oh, boy. I mean, you have to be. And the one thing I do want to say about the running back position in particular, it's an absolute logjam because we could sit here for four hours and make an <laughs> argument about why Alvin Kamara at 26 and a half should be ahead of this guy. We could argue, hey, how would Joe Mixon be lower than him? Joe Mixon just put up this monster year. We haven't seen Travis Etienne. What about J.K. Dobbins, right? There's all these names. So for me, am I back in on Cam Akers? Yeah, I was never really out on Cam Akers. It's just okay. what a, what a major injury to have. And this is a guy that's 22 and a half years old, arguably one of the youngest players to ever have this injury. Also probably the fastest recovery time anybody in the whole world has ever seen from this. But he did also, to me, look smoother and more explosive than prior to the injury. But you have to go back to 2020 Week 12 to see when it kind of started for Cam Akers, when he started to break out a little bit. Multiple double-digit games, three games over 14.5 fantasy points per game. His snapshot finally went over 25%. The biggest difference today versus then is that the quality of the offensive line has actually increased. And he finally has a quarterback that can take the pressure off of the backfield. Because what people forget is in 2020, Jared Goff was so bad that Cam Akers actually ranked number five overall in extra defenders in the box at 7.3. It makes it a lot more difficult to do your job when your quarterback is no good. And the threat that this offense now puts on opposing defenses will be a benefit to Cam Akers in the future. And with that being said, rumors are swirling that they should extend Sony Michelle. And I would actually prefer that they extend Sony Michelle and trade a guy like Henderson just because I think he's more explosive and potentially more of a threat than a guy like Michelle, and he's the meat shield, as Matt Kelly would say. <laughs> well, we already know that their acres is ahead of both these guys. We've seen McVeigh make this, you know, in two straight seasons, at least, you know, for Henderson's sake. I know Henderson's been hurt here in the back half, but you know, watching Sony take Henderson's job and then watching Acres take Sony's job, I think we can put two and two together there. Those snap rates uh, that you've been bringing up, I remember one of the reasons why I was so high on Acres going into 2020, at least for redraft, was the reality that whether it was Gurley, CJ Anderson for a little bit, even Malcolm freaking Brown, like whoever was McVeigh's number one back, I think it was 48 of 40, 52 games he had coached his rb1 had a 60 percent plus snap rate and yes. my concern with acres was like could this change because it is an achilles and who knows if he can handle a full workload well he just did man he just got handed the ball 27 times on an 81 percent snap rate i cannot believe to this day that acres is back and being given this workload but to your point he looks healthy he's here i guess we're back in on cam acres man Back in, baby. Back in. Okay, so running back in general, you said before, we want to get our young running backs. Do you have an age, an experience, or a touch number where you're just like, okay, I'm out? Because I, it feels arbitrary to me a lot of times uh, with what people bring up. They're like, oh, Derrick Henry, of course we should have seen this injury coming. He had 400 touches, just disregarding the fact he had 400, including playoffs, the year before. So is there, is there a specific kind of usage point for running backs that you're like, okay, I'm done with you? I mean, you know, obviously everybody's well aware of this. There's no magic number, unfortunately. You can't shake a magic eight ball and, and figure this out. Otherwise, we would have figured Derrick Henry out a long time ago. <laughs> but anybody who's been around the block in Dynasty or, you know, redraft for this matter has heard of the term the age apex. There's a lot of data that's been done on the age apex. And essentially the age apex shows the production from inter, you know, entering the league at a young age and it goes year by year and it shows how many fantasy finishers break into the top 12 and at the top 24 into the top five. And most oftentimes you're going to see that about age 28 is when a cliff really takes place. Okay. For me personally, age 26 is a big marker. And I also look at contracts. Contracts are a big deal to me. I like to sell a guy when he's in that mid to late age 26 year, when I know we're about to hit that age 27 year where it really falls off. When you look at top five fantasy finishers, historically, roughly only 3% of them achieve it at age 27. So if you're looking for a top five guy and he's 27 years old, good luck. It's probably not happening. So if you can get a guy with a little bit of a contract left on him, who's 26 and a half, look at Alvin Kamara age, kind of 27. It can be tough, but it's a lot easier to sell that guy to another owner in your dynasty league because you're playing hot potato, right? Like yeah. you don't want to be left holding the bag. And I know <laughs> it hurts to sell a guy like Alvin Kamara or Dalvin Cook. But if you look forward a year, when we get to week 16 next year, and Dalvin Cook is what, age 27 at that point, somewhere in that range, and he gets hurt, let's say, and he's going to be entering an age 28 year the next year, how many people are going to have interest? He loses value, he loses production. It's a tough road to go. So for me, late 26, just up to 27. With that contract, would you say that it 
it definitely helps a lot if it's on the same team. Like we want them to be extended by that squad because we do have free agency coming up. And, you know, I, um, I've, I've been keeping just for the last few years, like a running tally of like the largest running back contracts on new teams. And it's like, and that's, it's not safe for work, man. I can just say it out loud. <laughs> Le'Veon Bell, Chris <laughs> yeah. Ivory, Jarek McKinnon, Lamar Miller, Deion oh. Lewis, Melvin Gordon, Carlos Hyde, Latavius Murray, and Mark Ingram. Like, okay, we had a season or two from there from some of those guys. But man, if you already have a bunch of miles on you and now you're going to a new system, yes. we better have some serious guarantees before we want to sink our teeth in that <sighs> much. Well, worst case scenario is you get Melvin Gordon, right? They bring in this precocious talent <laughs> who's just amazing. And Melvin Gordon, I'm going to I'm gonna rephrase from using a word that would probably get me canceled, <laughs> but Melvin Gordon is actually like, yeah, I actually do want to come back and play behind this guy. Like, I want to stick with the Broncos who can't throw down the field, who can't utilize their passers. I just want to watch Javante Williams just take over every ball game until I rot away. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? So that, to me, is the concern, right? Like, he was productive, but dude, he was outproduced by Javante Williams this year. Yeah, and look, Melvin Gordon like wasn't bad. to me. It was like a kind of like Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams situation where like I'm not trying to say Melvin Gordon's the worst running back in the league, nor Jamal Williams or anything. But when you have Aaron Jones or Javante Williams, let the guy loose. Yeah, right, right. No, I just I, it's my concern, and I think you're exactly right. When guys change to another system, now I was a huge fan of Leonard Fournette. Got the bobblehead in the background. I died. <laughs> I died for Leonard Fournette. So many deaths. But when he left Jacksonville, a lot of people didn't think it was going to be a great fit in his next destination. And he has really once again resurged himself and played fantastic. And so there are times when it works, but more often than not, for me, it is yes. a concern. So I would look to sell, go younger. You know, don't be afraid to do it. it just this is a dynasty rule of thumb. Don't yeah. be left holding the bag. I, I I realize that you could have answered every single question I've asked you so far with like, oh, it depends, and then gone on with that. So yes, yeah. certainly every situation can be different. It's not every single one of these, you know, is a complete all-encompassing rule, but to your point, rule of thumb. Yes, sure. new team, definitely a uh, red flag to keep an eye on. Let's talk some wide receivers now. I've seen you barking on the old Twitter sphere again at an outraged Jew, one of my favorite follows out there about my guy aj brown being the dynasty wide receiver three we got justin jefferson and jamar chase obviously top two why do you have aj brown ahead of everyone else okay so here's the thing why so running back is is a log jam because there's so much talent at running back the problem with wide receiver is it's heavy at the top two as you mentioned we've got one and two you can split them however you want to do it then after that we've got a lot of uh, decent players good players and then it's like there's warts on everybody. I could literally make an argument why I'm not a fan of potentially Deontay Johnson's upside or Stephon Diggs is a little old or Debo Samuel didn't break out till year three or you can make all these cases. So for me, starting right there, A.J. Brown to me is one of the safest options amongst all the players that are out there. And it's funny because I recently did a CeeDee Lamb video on YouTube and I had this huge debate between these two guys. But it's evident that A.J. Brown has the elite intangibles and it's proven that in any given game, he can get you 25, 30 yeah. fantasy points and he's still not 25 years old. Again, when we're talking about dynasty, you kind of have to play into the future a little bit. Derrick Henry won't always be around to put this offense on his back. And as we saw from Tannehill this year, they're going to have to throw the ball more. A.J. Brown already owns a 40.8% snap share of air yards, which is good for the wide receiver three in fantasy. And the theory is similar to DeAndre Swift. You see all the metrics on display and you just buy into the idea that they're going to turn up that dial on the opportunity and those performance metrics are going to maintain. You only have to go back one year, though, with A.J. Brown to find a 17.7 fantasy points per game season when he was really killing it. So it's like it's there, but conceivably, who else do you put above him that you don't have concerns with? I got no one, man. I'm with you here. <laughs> no one. No one. Easy. <laughs> AJB, you know, I like to say AJB wide receiver one, but in dynasty land, we'll go overall wide receiver three, Arthur one, Kings stay Kings. Dude doesn't turn 25 until June 30th. Like what more do people want, man? Like I feel like for some reason, like AJ Brown, maybe it's because the way he makes plays just they're so out of this world that we almost like expect it to stop but the dude like has one down week and i just think people get off it like more than other wide receivers i don't get it man well it was funny because matt kelly and i we did the sonic truth dynasty podcast we literally had a debate because i did this whole cd lamb tweet 
and it, I got I got a bunch of traction from it. And then Matt was like, I looked on the show sheet and I'm like, oh, there it is. It's on the show sheet now. Matt added it, right? So we had this huge debate about these two players. And it's like, AJ Brown, man, is just a really interesting player overall because you're not this year he got 13.9 fantasy points per game right and only about 27 percent of his games end up with the result of 100 total yards in the game so it's not as high as you would think i really like aj brown and i think the upside is there and all the skills are there and i really don't know who else you put above him that's the problem yeah, I was cracking up. I think Aikman and them had the Titans game when they said that A.J. Brown plays bigger than his size. No, yeah, he's... <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, How I mean, much bigger? He's 230. Like, come yeah. on at this point. The dude's a freaking beast out there. I know. First guy off the bus, probably. All right, yeah. you've mentioned his name a few times. <laughs> CeeDee Lamb, hot yes. topic of conversation. Yes. Someone that really, man, was kind of, I think, vying for that overall wide receiver one spot even last uh, you know, last year, depending on the truth that you were talking to. Are you still buying him as an upside wide receiver one, or do you see enough last year where you're like, okay, maybe we should chill out a little bit? I, I have not seen enough. I think that we've got a lot of people that were willing to put on horse blinders for whatever reason. Every Everybody's always on the ship until the, the, the water gets a little rocky and you know people are like kind of sliding around and they're like, I'm getting off this thing. Why are you getting off of the C.D. Lamb top five dynasty wide receiver ship? Who are you putting above him? I know Matt <laughs> Kelly said Debo Samuel. I don't get it. I like Debo. Debo had this insane year. He did it in year three. He's been injured all the way back to college. He's three years older than C.D. Lamb. And I thought that age mattered. I guess it doesn't matter when we're talking about Debo fucking Samuel. But here's the thing. When you put a guy like A.J. Brown side by side with C.D. Lamb, which is the argument that I made, and we look at their production since they've been in the league, here they are side by side. C.D. Lamb averages 4.8 catches a game. A.J. Brown, 4.3. C.D. Lamb averages 63.7 receiving yards a game. A.J. Brown, 69.7. C.D. <laughs> Lamb averages 0.3 touchdowns. A.J. Brown averages 0.6. The, the difference between these two is so negligible, it drives me nuts. And the fact that people are basically dismissing that a player that's not even 23 years old yet put up two back-to-back -back seasons of over 1,000 scrimmage yards in both years is shocking to me. And C.D. Lamb didn't play 17 games. And if he had, based on his average, he would have been the wide receiver 12 overall already. And then we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But people want to cite the target share and they want to cite the air yards. And I get it. Targets are air quote earned, right? But he's on a team with other receivers, running backs that ball out in the passing game, and a tight end that played crazy. It's also the reason why Tom Brady threw the ball 719 times <laughs> and Mike Evans had a 16.4% target share. The difference is touchdowns. It really is. And my belief, my true belief, is that CeeDee Lamb is on a DeAndre Hopkins trajectory. Nice. Year three, DeAndre Hopkins absolutely balled out. And once Andre Johnson was gone, we watched him turn into the wide receiver two, the wide receiver one, the wide receiver five, and the wide receiver four in back-to-back-to-back -back -back years. Watch CeeDee Lamb go for 150 targets next year, and everybody's going to say, oh, shit, he should be in the top five. My thing with CeeDee, it's not like he was going out there getting eight, nine targets and not producing with it. To your point, they just had other avenues to go with the football. Like the only game of the season where you could say like, oh, okay, he had this big discrepancy uh, between receptions and targets was that Broncos game. And I swear to God, if someone tries to tell me he was bad in that game, like that's just, you know, completely uh, just showing you're a freaking novice where I was going to say something more mean. <laughs> yeah, you like, way to do it in real time. Most, I think it was like the most unrealized area is that we could have had like three touchdowns if Dak put the ball on him. And then that 49ers game, I know the 21 yards looks ugly, but he had the penalties, taking away some stuff and just not getting these targets. Amari Cooper, we have Jerry Jones openly bitching about him in the media and the Cowboys can get out of that contract, save 20 million after June 1st. Michael Gallup just tore his ACL. He's a free agent. Freaking Dalton Schultz is a free agent. Maybe he gets the tag, but it's Dalton Schultz. Hell, even Malik Turner isn't on this team next year. There's a chance we see CD start flirting with that 150, 160 target mark. And like AJ Brown, man, like when we've seen these guys flash and already have good years, we just know there's more volume down the road. It's I, I seriously, I could go on all day about this subject, <laughs> but, but when you look back again, target share was up from 2020 yards per route run. were up from 2020 yards after the catch per target. were up from 2020 target separation was up from 2020 by every metric that matters. He went up and he's on a team that's number six in pass plays per game, which was my big argument. The big argument that me and Matt Kelly had 
He kept citing the air yards that A.J. Brown had. And I go, well, it's great when you have a big market share of air yards on a team that throws the ball very little. (laughs) Isn't that about the same as having a 25% market share of a team that throws the ball a lot? That's that's like that was the big thing with uh, Devontae Smith all year. Like I I understand that we have our thresholds and um it's easy to group guys and when they hit a certain level of you know your air yard share your target share. But yeah, when the freaking pie is half the size depending on the offense, like that's a huge problem that we need to uh, incorporate a little bit more. All right, we just talked about CD and AJ being the potential for them to get more targets. What about guys like Deontay Johnson and Jalen Waddle, who already have all the targets we could dream for, but you dig into it a little bit and the efficiency maybe isn't quite as high as these other guys. Yes, targets are earned. And honestly, Big Ben, Tua, okay, I can certainly see an avenue where a lot of quarterbacks would come in and give them that upgrade. But I guess how like much do you weigh this? Where, okay, we have the high target ceiling already, but there is a quarterback change coming. I mean, Deontay Johnson is a really interesting name because he's been a volume hog for the past two years. But aside from being a great target separator by the numbers, I'm not exactly sure what he's amazing at. Is anybody really sure what he does better than anybody else on an NFL field? He does, to me, feel maybe the most fragile of all the players that have most recently sort of entered the top 10 dynasty wide receiver conversation. Big Ben, literally, the day that we were recording, announced his retirement. I thought he did that uh, weeks (laughs) 1 through 17 or 18 this year. But he's leaving something significant behind because that made Deontay Johnson the focal point of this offense. And who's to say that the next quarterback that comes in might be a rookie, could be a veteran. How do we know that he's going to maintain 10.6 targets per game? There's a lot of reason to believe that Chase Claypool, who looks a lot more like a stereotypical the, the alpha. By low. The by low. The by low. For sure. I totally agree. The tables could turn. And all of a sudden, this could turn into a much more explosive offense that's funneled through a guy that, again, looks like a beast of a wide receiver. Yeah. No, it's, I think you're 100% right. I, you watch Deontay Johnson play, and I see it. He's very smooth on the outside. He's, when you have 160 targets, you have a lot of opportunities, you know, put some nice plays on film. He's good after the catch. And look, we've talked about Deontay Johnson this whole time, not saying drops once. Like, I, I don't care about the drops here and that the guy knows how to catch a football. But yes, it's having the quarterback change. And the reality that we saw, we've seen Claypool come in there, even James Washington do some good things. Like in Pittsburgh, man, if you're able to, just get these concentrated target shares. You're going to put up big numbers. I want to see what life looks like afterwards. Dude, here's here's one last stat for the people, for the great listeners. That This is great. Deontay Johnson in 2020 saw 144 targets and finished as the wide receiver 21 overall and was outscored by 15 other receivers who saw less targets that year. That is outstanding. I mean, he. I don't own Deontay Johnson anywhere. Like, the dude can average seven yards per target, man. I'm, I'm not saying he, I, when you get this many targets, when you're a three-point shooter and you're shooting 50% on four attempts per game, I don't expect you to shoot 50% on eight attempts per game. But I also don't want to see Deontay Johnson's name, like, in the bottom five in efficiency stats. It, That's the problem. Pro- it's a product of volume, dude. To go back to a basketball scenario, I bet Ray Allen's watching basketball right now going, fuck, I could have shot that many <laughs> times a game when he's watching Steph, watching his number get crushed in like year 10. It's ridiculous. Watching Ray uh, just like obviously pissed off. I, I'd probably be kind of pissed off too, man. Like I kind of like that. I, I don't like the fake, oh, I'm so happy for him. I want to be like... Been- I would have been pissed off too. I had to travel to three fucking stadiums in a row waiting for him to break my record so I could walk out on the court and shake his hand. I want him to pull out like a poster and be like, if I had played in today's age and my shots were, you know, up to the yeah. current level, he's running a regression analysis on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. The second guy here, Jalen Waddle. Similar thing, and like I said, beginning of the show, you just did a nice uh, YouTube video on the subject, Nate Liss on YouTube. Yes. Go subscribe, hit thumbs up. Why the hell not, people? What else you got to do? It's freaking soon to be February. Jalen Waddle, <laughs> he was someone, and like Deontay Johnson, these were two of my guys where like, when he looked at my preseason ranks compared to ADP, I was much higher on both of them because it was just, you know, simple thing I like to do sometimes is look at our projections, see where the volume ranks, and then look at the ADP. And there's like huge discrepancies in it. It's like, okay, maybe we should take take a little bit closer look at these situations. And that's why Deontay and Waddle stood out for me. 
Now, Waddle is no longer being priced in redraft as a wide receiver four. I know he was always higher in dynasty land. How willing are you to really jump on to Waddle after a good first year? But let's face it, a lot of that was volume driven. We didn't see the massive big plays, the, you know, explosive runs and uh, catches and everything that maybe he was known for. Doesn't mean they can't come back, but we just didn't see him. So I literally, I, I spilled my guts on YouTube. It was a great video, uh, youtube.com forward slash Nate List. And I, I'm telling you, here's the problem. Jalen Waddle to me is a guy that could very simply fall into the top five. I am right now calling him Tyler Lockett plus 30 targets. This is Ooh. what I'm seeing with him. Here's the problem. Everybody wanted you, to come. You can end after that and I'd be in, by the way. I'm not I ready to. I got, I got, I got reasons. <laughs> Let's so, go. So look. Here's the problem, man. People wanted to peg him and say that he was Keenan Allen because of the low A dot. They wanted to say that he was, you know, he was producing similarly to Keenan Allen. The problem for me is one, Keenan Allen is 25 pounds heavier. The other problem is that Keenan Allen is much, much slower than Jalen Waddle is. He compares much more to Tyler Lockett. And here's the reason that we saw the low A dot. You saw a low A dot this year because the Miami Dolphins had the absolute worst offensive line in the league. Yeah. And Tua Tonga Vailoa had the third lowest time to throw of anybody in the NFL. When you look at Jalen Waddle, you go back to college, 94th percentile college yards perception, 20.0 per game. This guy was a monster deep threat. What happened in Miami, though, was he was the only wide receiver that they had, and they had to get the ball out quick and get him into the passing game. So to me, the targets were earned. Maybe there wasn't competition here, but he certainly played much better than I expected in a role that I didn't expect him to play in. He was always a guy that played in the slot mostly, and that's why people are also comparing him to Keenan Allen because both of these guys are in that 40% slot rate. But dude, the comparisons between him and... And, and Tyler Lockett, they've got a similar catch rate. They've got the similar speed. The deep ball attempts, I expect them to get turned up next year if Miami can do what they need to do. And I believe that they're number two in available cap space going into next season. So if they can make a big turnaround, a guy like Jalen Waddle, who gets dialed back up to the player that he was in college, the guy that they drafted him for, nobody drafted Jalen Waddle thinking that he was going to run an average depth of target of the <laughs> wide receiver 103, 6.3 yards. God. He averaged 20 yards per game in college. And Tua was number one in deep ball accuracy. Tua was very accurate, but had no time to throw. And that's why the routes weren't deep. I don't want to give up on Tua just yet, but it's also, you know, you watch these games and it's hard to come away. It's hard to assume that we're going to see something that we just haven't seen uh, yet. And that's, I think, just the problem with Tua. But to your point, all... Having Parker so banged up, Will Fuller, they got like five quarters out of him this entire year. That O-line, like them and the Panthers were like threatening to break like our PFF record low, like team pass blocking grade. It truly was miserable in Miami. Deshaun Watson wearing a dolphin on his helmet, man. My goodness. Watch how quickly all the people come running back to Jalen Waddle when that happens. (laughs) Nate, you've been fantastic, man. Before you get out of here, I want to do a quick rapid fire tight end round. Try to keep the answer to a sentence or two. But if you want to go off, go off, Cam. We got got time to kill. Overall, tight end one is blank. Oof. Uh, Overall, tight end one is blank. Uh, Mark Andrews. Uh, Mark Andrews has always been the uh, one of the favorites of you know Lamar Jackson, and Lamar Jackson has got a, a cavalcade of wide receivers that I don't know if he will or won't link up with in a successful way. And Mark Jackson is is always that lover that's waiting around the corner. I will say with Andrews, man, like I, I knew he was really good. Like you don't put up the touchdown numbers that you have without being really good. But this last year was like, oh shit! Like you're actually like in that upper tier, real life fantasy, like whatever you want to call him. Dawson Knox, one year flash or Josh Allen's BFF for years to come. Top five in deep targets, top five in red zone attempts, and the tight end one in quarterback rating when targeted. This is how you become elite. Let's freaking go. We're buying Dawson Knox. We'll continue to do so. Do we still believe in Noah Fant? I don't believe in Noah Fant unless there's a significant change in Denver. I've been predicting that Aaron Rodgers will go there. Even if he goes there, man, I just don't know. The tight end position's just got too many, too many ups and downs. Why? Look, I don't. 
I have nothing against Alberto, but what are you spending a first round pick on Fan for to split his reps with Alberto? Like if we combine them to one person, life would be great. But unfortunately, this isn't a Disney movie where you can do that. At this oh, I don't understand. I mean, they draft Jerry Judy, they extended Patrick, they extended Cortland Sutton. I really <sighs> don't understand exactly what the plan is here, to be quite honest. What the hell? What is KJ Hamler going to do next year? <laughs> Who knows? They got they, they got an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver, I would say. I'm going to be so pissed if they do not have a serious quarterback upgrade. Come on, oh, they, Aaron. They won't. They won't. They won't. <laughs> Who is your rookie tight end one looking ahead to this upcoming draft? Oh, upcoming draft. Trey McBride out of Colorado State won the Mackey Award. 90 receptions, 1,122 receiving yards. Obviously, he can produce on the outside as a receiver, but he's also an accomplished blocker. Most compared to the guy that I brought up earlier, which is Mark Andrews. So maybe that's why I have such an affinity for him. But we will see him at the Senior Bowl. Hell yes. Buying Cole Komet, third year breakout? I don't know. Are you buying Justin Fields' second year breakout? Yeah, kind of. Okay, well, he's 23 years old. And uh, here, here one, one last stat for you. The difference between Komet from tight end 21 to tight end 15 was 24 points. The difference between Komet at the tight end 21 to Hunter Hendry was 42 points. George Kittle scored 40 points in week 13. So there's not a big gap between these guys. So I would say at his ADP, yeah, I'd buy him. I mean, the guy's going to score a touchdown when we get Jimmy Graham and his freaking no trade clause out of here eventually. He's proven he can be an every down tight end. I think that's the one kind of trap we fall into sometimes, like the Donald Parhams of the world. And they look fantastic when they're catching the ball, but they're not actually good enough to stay on the field full time. So Komet, yes, still just 22 years of age. I may or may not have him on every single dynasty team. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sway your answer here a little Smart. bit, Nate. You're doing a Smart. good job. Who do you feel best about even on a new team moving forward, Mike Desicki or Dalton Schultz? Ooh, these two are both nearly identical this year, but the difference between the two was clearly TDs. I mentioned it earlier, but I've got an affinity for athletic tight ends, especially ones that have proven that d- they deserve targets year over year. So I guess give me Gasecki and then throw me off a cliff. Nate, last second. <laughs> last question before you jump off that cliff. I've been a nice person to you throughout this podcast. I invited you on. I need you to say one nice thing about Chris Herndon. About Chris Herndon? Yes. One nice thing. Uh, I remember him being good once upon a time. Thanks, man. Hell yeah, I do too. That one-handed catch against the Packers in like 2018. Come on. Yeah, you nailed it. No, never too late. Chris Herndon. Hey, Cordero Patterson broke out at, you know, age 30, man. That's it's true. never too late for my it's guy. It's never Chris too late. Nate, you were fantastic. Appreciate the time, my brother. Everyone can find you on Twitter at an outraged Jew. I, I like it, man. A lot of times people, they, you know, someone else with their name has their handle and they got to like add these underscores and stuff. You're never going to have that issue. I have tits in my last name, so I'm pretty much in the clear <laughs> as well. Uh, a couple true. guys being dudes. Again, you do great work all across the industry. People can find most of it on YouTube and Twitter, though. Again, Nate List on YouTube. Anything else you want to get off your chest, my friend? No, man, not at all. I really appreciate you uh, bringing me on and uh, thank you to all the listeners. I hope people uh, enjoy this podcast. Look forward to uh, chopping it up there in the Dynasty streets with you this offseason. For Nate, I'm Ian. Thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.